Hey folks, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. Lazy DM Prep is a weekly show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Times on Twitch in which I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running the game uh, the Eberron the Second Morning. This is a homebrew adventure set in the world of Eberron. This show, like all of the work at Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the fine backers of Sly Flourish at Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash slyflourish, you too can become a Sly Flourish patron. You get access to a monthly newsletter, uh, a, a exclusive adventure called Regnum Rattus, The Rats in the Cellar. And a, what else do you get? Oh, you get access to a special Discord uh, channel on my Discord server where we can all chat and talk about other people. And what else? Uh, yeah, and you get the, 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 the benefit of helping keep videos uh, like this and the articles on the website and the newsletter and all the other little odds and ends and expenses that uh, uh, accrue while running the Sly Flourish Empire. So uh, for those of you who are patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you very much. And uh, this show is for you. Uh, what else? We are running a Kickstarter. This is the last show that I will be doing before the end of the Kickstarter for Fantastic Layers. Fantastic Layers, if you are seeing this video after the Kickstarter, uh, we, we, I hope there will be a way for you to pre-order it as well. We're trying to set up a pre-order for this. Um, but definitely the best way to get in on all of the awesome stuff that's coming along with Fantastic Layers is to back the Kickstarter. You're going to get more than you would get if you waited until it is done. So Fantastic Layers is a book of at least 21 layers of all different level ranges from uh, levels 1 to 20. Uh, they, will, they, they, they cover all of the tiers of play, and they are boss, they're set around boss battles and climactic encounters. So these are uh, not full adventures. They are the final, uh, the final boss fights that you can grab out of this book and drop into your own home campaign. That is, that is the intent. Uh, so we have everything from a, um, shadow touched cockatrice for level ones to a demon touched, a demon, demon possessed ancient gold dragon at level 20. I'm, that's actually this next week. I'm going to be working on that layer. Uh, so I just finished the first draft of the level. I think it's like a level 13 or 14 lich layer. That one's kind of interesting. And, uh, but previous to that one was a Marilith known as the queen of the, the blade queen. Uh, that is set for, I think, 17. Uh, that was going to be a tier three, and then I wrote it, and I'm like, this is getting worse and worse and bigger and better. We really ought to do this for tier four. So that's going to be a tier four uh, layer. So, um, yeah, and um, what else? So there is a book of 10 adventure outlines that are being done by all sorts of different members of the community that we've reached out to that uh, are going to be outlines to help you build adventures around the layers. So... Uh, you should hopefully be able to take one of these outlines and kind of understand how it works and then expand it and fill it out with your own material to then build a whole adventure around a particular layer. And it's possible that the outlines will actually cover more than one layer. Uh, we're going to see how that, how that is going out. What else do you get? There's an art book. So all of the stretch goals included a whole bunch of new adventure, a whole bunch of new layers. Um, the uh, adventure outline book and the art book, uh, a hardcover version. So you, if you back at the print-on-demand tier, you will have the ability to order a print-on-demand hardcover version as well as the softcover version and the softcover version of the art book and all the PDFs as well. Um, so that's a really good deal. And uh, what else? Oh, and so our final stretch goal was a uh, backer, um, uh, uh, a back, backer-selected layer. So we actually had a um, one of our posts was, "Hey, what kind of layer would you like to see?" And we got a whole bunch of people responded, 80 or 90 replies to that. And Scott and uh, – so this this book is not just mine. This is uh, Scott Fitzgerald Gray and James Intercasso and myself are all partnered together to work on this book. And uh, so Scott and James and I get together every Friday and talk about what's going on in the world uh, with Fantastic Layers. And we looked through – all of us independently kind of looked through all of the things that were there and then – uh, group them up together, like what are the most common ones that we're seeing and what are the ones that we would like to do. And we put together a list of 12 where Scott and James and I all looked at them and said, yeah, these would be cool. We would totally do any of these. And then we um, put together a poll. So if you are a backer, uh, you can go to the most recent update, which is only visible to backers, and you will see a link to the survey there and you can take the survey. About, a, I don't think, quite a thousand results, um, like 900 some results last time I checked last night. I haven't checked today. And um, we are looking at the top, you know, we're looking at the top and then, you know, we, we, in reality, we get like 
51 percent of the vote right we could go like nah i don't want to do that one but except we want to do all of them so um i can i can guarantee you a couple of things one is very likely the vote is not going to change at this point because 900 and some people have selected in central limit theorem and um the top one is the top one by a good majority it's like five percent higher than the next one so it's almost certain we're going to do that one and that one's really cool and i actually as soon as i saw it i said i want to do that one can i do that one and, and they're like yeah i guess so unless uh, one of the other one of the other guys wants to really do it i'm gonna, i want to i want to do it because it's really cool uh, but they're all really cool so um yeah so uh yeah the, anyway the kickstarter ends wednesday at 10 a.m eastern standard time i think that's right it's 11 a.m oh, let's find out right shall we let's all go there together uh let's go to the kickstarter and it is ending it says three day 11 a.m on um july 1st so you have what's well, not not quite 48 hours 72 ish hours about 73 hours is that right math is hard yeah i think it's like 73 hours you have 73 hours to to back the kickstarter we have three thousand backers which is amazing uh and we are yeah it's gonna be great it's gonna be an awesome book and it's been an absolute you know pleasure i knew it was gonna be great working with scott and with james anyway because i worked with both of them before and they're both good friends and um but really getting into that creative mix of like hey i have this idea and riffing on ideas and going around has made all of these things really awesome so um i think we've got about 13 or 14 of them in first draft form we have a couple that have been through first layers of kind of the high level editing we've got maps under the way we've got art under the way we're getting a lot of cool stuff so yeah it's it's well you know the 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 book is well underway um you know scott and i and all three of us have been on kickstarters in the past i've run a bunch of kickstarters um scott has run two kickstarters before and he has worked on mine uh in the past as well and james was a partner on another kickstarter as well so we are all experienced and we've all been doing now publishing stuff for a while so we're all pretty familiar with how this goes so it's definitely going to happen and um yeah it's great uh so back it let's see let's take a look at who's here evil john is here hey my mom is here hi mom uh a bunch of people are here let's see i'm ready to provide commentary and eberron proper nouns yay good because i need proper nouns um snark knight says can't wait to loot the book yes i can't wait for you to loot the book as well everyone wants a boss flump sorry flumps are not srd oh so so sad um Odd coincidence that this book and the 5e official mythic bosses are coming out at the same time. Um, mythic bosses? I don't think there's a book of mythic bosses coming out. Uh, that this book and the 5e official mythic bosses are coming out. If you mean uh, the mythic bosses that are in uh, Theros. Yeah, that was an interesting coincidence. That, was not, um, that wasn't planned. Uh, uh, none of us. I don't know if any of us knew about the mythic bosses until they were published. And, um, but I did. I, I will tell you, it has changed... So one of the things, if we're going to get into a little bit, but boy, I've got game issues. So we need to talk about game issues. But I'll talk about this because I think it's pretty interesting. Um, one of the, there, there's different third-party publishers have different philosophies about what to hang on to when you're working in fifth edition and what to let go of and, and go a different direction. And I lean towards the try to try to stay. And this is something that James and Scott and I, when we first started the project said, we need to make sure that we're all on board with you know, an, uh, it, w- some version of this philosophy, right? Whether it's no, that we definitely want to go our own way for certain things or whether no, we want to try to stay as close to core as possible. Uh, Scott Gray is an editor who was the editor on the Monster Manual. He's the editor on a whole bunch of different f- fifth edition stuff. So he knows what is, you know, the, 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 he knows the style guide for fifth edition, right? And the style guide goes beyond just like, you know, using Chicago Manual style and into very particular ways of handling certain mechanics and things like that. So, um... But other publishers have gone in, you know, said, like, we're going to go very differently with monster design. I've seen language. uh, I was looking at a fifth edition third party supplement by a very popular publisher recently, and they didn't describe like how spell effects end the same way that the fifth edition one does. And, you know, that that was a case where you're probably like, oh, you probably should have had an editor who knows how to do that. Um, But then there are other cases where people go in very different directions with things like monster design. And... um, so we decided early on to kind of continue to follow the approach that I've taken with the stuff that I've done, which is uh, try to stay as close to the core uh, design of fifth edition as possible and only deviate from it when, we, when there's a really good reason to. Um, we also decided that the bullet point method of monster modification would be better than 
uh, creating entirely new monster stat blocks. But we have a, 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 a change in that, uh, which is one of the stretch goals. I forgot to mention the stretch goal. One of the stretch goals is going to be a PDF supplement that has all of the stat blocks, including the modified stat blocks for every monster in the book. So you will have a, a PDF supplement on the side. Uh, every backer will get it that has all of the monster stat blocks in it. So for those of you who like to have the monster stat blocks kind of separated, you will have that. Um, I, I'm, I'm a fan of using books next to my monster manual. And so for me, when it says like, use the bandit stat block only, it gets this one extra thing. Or what was one I did yesterday? There was, there was a monster, you know, I think I have these guys called Dread Tower Whites, right? And a Dread Tower White is a white that has, um, X, it has two features. One, it has resistance to turn to turning because it's next to a big nexus of negative energy. And its sword attacks do an extra, I think, 3d6 necrotic damage on their sword attacks. And then they're, they're bumped up a challenge rating. So um, that's like three bullet points, right? And uh, to me, it's easier to do that, like have a white and then tack on these things than it is to say, like, we're going to make a Dread Tower white stat block and then put that in the book. And However, we are going to make a Dread Tower white stat block and it will be in the supplement. So everybody's going to win, right? You will, you'll be able to run the book as it is with just the monster manual. Or if you have the supplement, you can just use the stat block from the supplement, which is kind of cool. Anyway, um, so when we looked at how to do it and we know, so there's lots of ways that you can sort of bullet point modify a monster in order, and especially a boss monster to make it a little bit trickier than the ones that are inside the SRD or in, yeah, inside the SRD, but also inside the monster manual. And that's because bosses kind of have a hard go, particularly above like fifth level and certainly above every tier, it gets harder for bosses, right? And um, we want to make these bosses nice and tough and, and a good strategy. So we have to kind of add things on there. So like my Marilith, for example, I consider her my Marilith. My Marilith uh, can teleport. And one of the reasons why she can teleport, it, it gives her a lot of mobility. She won't get pinned down by a bunch of melee guys. She won't get stuck in a corner. Uh, she also won't get force caged. And um, she actually has a number of, uh, animated swords that are flying around the room attacking people as well as the swords that she has in her hands. I was like, you know what? A Marilith needs more swords. So instead of t- six sword attacks, she's getting like 12 sword attacks and t- six of those are around the room and then six she's aiming on whoever's in front of her. And she can use a bonus action to uh, teleport toward and where any one of the other swords are. Uh, and that way she can bust out of, you know, things that would knock her down. Anyway... This is a long way of saying that we didn't have phased battle. We probably were going to have phased battles of some kind of approach. Um, you know, that, that idea of like when you fight a hag, you're not just fighting one, you're fighting three of them. Um, but then other, other probably things. But then when Theros came out, it showed that the design team of fifth edition has also said, you know, we can do phased battles and here's how we're going to do phased battles. And as soon as we saw it, we're like, wow, that's a pretty great way of doing it. Why won't we, why, how about we do that for some of our bosses? So like, yeah, the Marilith, for example, has the same kind of technique that, um, the big crazy spider does in Theros where it, it, when it drops to zero, it, it immediately, it does not drop to zero. It instead gains hit points equal to its or temporary hit points equal to its hit points and some other effect kicks off and now it gets a new and now you got a phase two boss um the lich that i have i'm spoiling stuff for my own book the lich rides around inside of a spider shaped iron golem and you have to fight the spider shaped iron golem first and she can still do some of her legendary actions while she's in it uh and then when you beat her she then flies out of the golem and she's flying around and then she's blasting so you get these two phases for the lich as well uh says jesus yeah. Oh, wait till you get to the gold dragon, man. Yeah, that gold dragon's gonna be a piece of work. You know, gold dragon on its own, not hard enough. Let's make a demon touch golden dragon that does other things too. So, um, yeah, the, the 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 tier three, tier four bosses are gonna be badass. Um, and anyway, so that's a long way of saying yes, we have seen the book of Theros, and because those mythic mechanics are now sort of in the core of fifth edition, and it also sounds like those mythic mechanics are getting used in. Um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, the new adventure that's coming out later this year, I guess in September, uh, that gives us a little bit of freedom to say, oh, we can add that thing in and it will, and it will be familiar, should be familiar to some, you know, to, to D&D players who are used to seeing it there. So, because that's kind of the reason why. One re- we we want to make it as easy to drop these things into your game, which means we don't want to kind of put our house rules on top of everybody else's thing. Wonder says, "Just backed it. Good, thank you. Since you just backed it, you can go and you can you can vote uh, for for which one which which mo- boss monster you want for our final boss monster thing." Um, boy, fifteen minutes in. All right, let's talk about Eberron. So I think I think that's it for Fantastic Layers. Yeah, that's it for Fantastic Layers. Um, 
Let's talk about Eberron. So, uh, I, whoa, that was the wrong button. Uh, let's go to Eberron. So I am going to be, uh, working in my Notion, um, Eberron notebook. Uh, if you would like to follow along with the style of the notebook, let me put a link to, um, the campaign template copy link. And I will paste this in the Twitch chat. If you're watching on YouTube, it's down in the down in the, the the text description below. You can click it there. If you want to see how this notebook is put together and how to use it, and you're wondering like how the hell did you do that, um, that link to the notebook uh, is a way to kind of follow along with how this whole thing works. Uh, there's another episode of this show where I go deep into how to use Notion for the lazy DM style. If you want to uh, follow along there, that works better. I'm not going to get into a lot of the details here. Uh, Notion, what is Notion? Notion.so is the URL. The URL. Uh, Notion is similar to um, an, an easy metaphor for it that most people are familiar with. Is it's very much like Microsoft OneNote. It is a notebook of pages that you can connect together and sort of build a hierarchy around. Uh, it also has a thing called a database, which is you can think of as like a stack of three by five cards with tags in them. So. Not exactly like a spreadsheet because it's more like a page that has tags and, and other bits of structured data along with it. And you'll see how that operates when I when I dig into it. So I created a notebook. Um, uh, Ameza says, I'm using your template so good I changed something and also added the plot tag where I put all of the things that happened uh, and ha- happens will happen or has happened in the world. That's very cool. Yeah, and that's the idea is like the way to me, the way to use this notebook and I'm tweaking it all the time. I tweaked it in a big way. Uh, this past week that I'll, I'll talk about, which is a, a new way of looking at the characters. Um, the intent is that you would duplicate the notebook to your own copy of Notion, and then you can customize your template in there to where you like it, and then copy that one for each campaign that you make. So you have sort of your, your own default template, which is what I do. I have my default template here. I right-click and say duplicate, and it duplicates the whole thing, and then I can fill it out with my new details. And that way I have like my Eberron one here. Uh, I'll show some other examples real quickly. Uh, I have my Eberron one. I have, this is my, my wife's, uh, my, my wife and I are running a one-on-one game. Uh, and I have the same thing here with, you know, my session notes for that uh, are all in here. Uh, and the characters, uh, you know, here's the, the character information. This is uh, the new character style that I'm going to talk about, which, which uh, I have a reason to do. Uh, NPCs. So that's my Eberron one-on-one game called AQ Acquisitions. Uh, and then we have Descent into Avernus which is my, uh, yeah, about twice a month, uh, I'm running an Avernus campaign and I've got all my, my Avernus stuff in here. I've got my NPCs and you see I have like cool art that I threw in here. Um, you know, NPCs for all this stuff, uh, villains, you know, I got my, my villains in here. So um, yeah, you, I can make a copy for any of these and I make it by this uh, lazy campaign template. I right click on it and I say duplicate and that creates a new one and then I flavor it for whatever my current campaign is. But I've already got one going for Eberron. That's what we're going to talk about now. <clears throat> so uh, we start by creating a new uh, session thing. So we go down to the session planning template. And I duplicate that. And we drag it to the top. And we rename it uh, 28 June 2020 when the Sunday Eberron. Right? And I'm delete that because I don't need the instructions on how to do that. And step one is review the characters. So, um, and this, yeah, I can talk a little bit about, um, so these are my Sunday characters. Uh, I have Zarentir Delander. Uh, Zarentir is a, uh, um, let's see if we can open this as a page. <laughs> ah, sorry. Schmeck. So uh, Zarentir is a, um, uh, he is a Tempest Storm Cleric uh, and a, um, um, mark, a dragon-marked member of House Lirindar. Uh, he uh, is uh, getting ready to steal his father's ship and not very well liked by his family. His father is a Orem member. And, um, yeah, lots of things going on there. So that's Zarentir. Uh, we have uh, Banner. 
Uh, Banner is a Warforged Paladin of the Becoming God, fought for years during the war, uh, was originally a member of the Lord of Blades, but left, and now is trying to find a new Warforged God known as the Becoming God uh, and joined the Godforge, a group of people that are looking for that. Um, so uh, we have Saber. Uh, Saber is a long-tooth shifter monk and bounty hunter uh, and is a member of the Order of Four Winds, a group of shifter monks from the Eldine Reaches uh, that actually uh, exist uh, in everything else. One kind of cool bit is that they have a monastery that exists in the minds of the people that are the, the minds of the monks. They can sort of go into a dream state and go to the monastery and train there, sort of like the Matrix, which I think is kind of fun. Uh, we have Shane. Ooh, I just got an idea. Uh, so let me add that in here. Um, why is why is an editor right with this bullet? Uh, so a fun bit might be that the they have a monastery that the the Order of Four Winds. Uh, has a monastery that exists in Dalcor, uh, and it's actually fueled by the Dreaming Dark. So maybe there's like a sinister angle to this. I think that's a good secret. We're going to go put that in our secrets. It's a character-generated secret, right? Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, that is Saber. Uh, Shane Husk is a uh, hobgoblin wizard and author, and he wrote a book about the morning, and he is hoping to find the next big book during his adventures while he goes out there. He's sort of a schlocky writer, very popular but not well-respected writer. Um, he believes that there's a great novel that exists in Old Sharn if only he can get there. Uh, we have Shift. Shift is one of the first Warforged. She uh, is powered by necrotic magic brought from the Empire of Karnath. And uh, she is actually, um, yeah, so she's not undead really, but she's just kind of necrotically powered. She has a kyber crystal for a heart. Um, and she is secretly, Lord Crash is actually Shift's brother. Uh, and then we have Arwen Chi Zizu. Arwen is a gnome artificer and has a dodecahedron around her neck that is actually the key to opening up uh, a the direction to uh, find the Claw Rift. So, um, yeah. So that's a thing. So those are the one, two, three, four, five, six. The six characters for today's game. Um, and I think I think it actually. Uh, so uh, let me talk a little bit about the new character way I want to do it. I didn't have time before the game to fix it for the Sunday characters. I hope to before the game itself. Uh, but I will show you with Wednesday. So with I, I previously all of the characters were inside this campaign database. Uh, let me expand this out until it. Come on, go, 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 go. Is this? Uh, is there a way to view it wide? I don't know why. For some reason, there it goes. So uh, it, it's, I'll, I'll fix it in a minute. Um, anyway, I would have characters inside my campaign database along with my locations and my NPCs and my items and all sorts of other things that I threw in here as like the, the, the cards, right? And um, I have since changed and created a character database. I'm going to close, get this back down to where it goes. Uh, I have since changed and created a character database. And the reason I have a character database is that in here, I can actually put what skills the characters are trained in and their passive scores uh, in them. And then I can view this, and I'll show how I do it uh, for the Wednesday group. Uh, for the Wednesday group, oh, no, I'm sorry. What the hell? Oh, it didn't filter. Uh, so for my Wednesday group, I have a nice uh, list of that I can keep up during the game of what skills each character is trained in and what their passives are. And my hope is that this will help with um, smoothing out the storytelling aspect of D&D. That instead of me saying, who's trained in Arcana? I can instead say, Odell, Hadrian, and Quinfer. All of you feel this like vibration in the air that's tapping into your your connection with the weave of magic, right? Or I can say, um, you know, Quinfer and Cortash, because you are trained, you know, your your training in religion makes you feel that there's like an unholy presence here, right? So I can tap into 
uh, skills. Uh, you know, I can I can tap into a character's skills and use that to draw on their storytelling. Uh, likewise, I can also skip the whole who's got the highest passive thing and say, uh, you know, that Koratash has a passive perception of 17. So I can say, Koratash, as you walk in here, something does not feel right. You think there's like something's watching you. There's a, there's a tension in the air that you can't quite figure out, right? And that sort of works for passive perception. Same thing with like passive insight. You know, um, I can say the passive insight of 14, uh, that Quinfer, you know, you're not so sure they're telling the truth, right? Like something's, you know, there's something hinky about what the guy's saying. And then they can do a deeper investigation check. But I can pull all of that by looking at the passives right off. Now, this is an old trick. Like DMs have been doing this forever. They would say like, you know, they keep three by five cards or other character's name and their passive scores on it. Um, maybe their AC and some other stuff. And then they have those handy to do that, that sort of stuff. Um, it's something I had shied away from. And now I'm thinking I want to do it. And, and I wanted to do it here. So then in the character database, um, it also has, you know, the pictures of the characters. Uh, this one is screwed up because I didn't filter. So um, I need to go in here and say filter, add a filter. Uh, and the, um, game is, uh, Wednesday, right? And now that's filtered. And then I have to do the same thing down here. Uh, bang, uh, where's filter, filter, uh, add a filter, add a filter where, uh, game is, Wednesday. And so now this is just from the Wednesday group, right? And that's because I just started adding the characters to the Sunday group. Now, the key is uh, you can open up any of these, right? Hadrian. And you get the same sort of card that I got before. Human Sorcerer, you know, picture of them, all that stuff. So it's still got all that. Only now it's got trained skills. It's got a link to D&D Beyond. So I can click that and immediately go to their D&D Beyond character sheet if I want to look up anything else about their character. You know, that's pretty handy. Um who the player is just in case, you know, now I know who the players are for all these, but you never know if early on it helps. So um, that's a way to, uh, this is my new way of handling the characters. And then it's a little complicated because now I've got a character database and a campaign database and they're two separate things. Uh, But I think generally it will, it will work. So I'm still experimenting with that, but that's a new way to do the characters. So let's go back to, um, so I've reviewed the characters that is done. Uh, so the strong start is they are standing at, so when our character, oh boy. Yeah. So I need to talk for a minute about what happened in last week's game. It's going to be, it's going to be hard to finish today's session. I might go a little long today because a lot happened. So last session they met with Cavella. Cavella is the head of the DASC, the head of the criminal organization of monsters that exists inside the hub. They operate all throughout Sharn. And she told them a whole lot of really, really interesting information about the fact that she is, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry, different group. So um, too many games going on. They, re- they met once again with Cavella. And Cavella said, they, they knew they were going to meet with her. Um, and Cavella said, hey, a bunch of things are going on. One, Leto Skull's guys have all disappeared at once. We had spies that were watching Leto's guys. And all of a sudden, all of his guys went dark. We don't know where all of Leto Skull's guys are. Lots of them, right? Jack wares. Apparently, he hired House Tarkanon assassins. So he's got, he's doing something, he's doing something big and we don't know where, and we don't know when, but something really big is going to happen. And, uh, by the way, we heard you picked up the book and we heard you pick something else up too. And, um, uh, so, and I think if you recall from yet last week's strong start, uh, uh, Shane Husk took out the orb and she looks at it and she says, I'm going to say some things and you need to do exactly what I say. And everybody in the room gets real tense and like, you know, people are all grabbing for weapons. The bad, you know, the, the, the DAS guys are all grabbing for weapons. Everyone's getting ready. The tension's really high. He said, I need you to take that orb and I need you to put it into a bag. And the orb shows them, you know, these people are all lying to you. And it shows this whole mapping. And it shows the fact that Cavella's not a gnome, but is an Oni. And it shows these invisible stalkers that are in the room. And, it, you know, it gives them true sight, right? So he, like... The people you're talking to, this is the orb, right? The orb, his name is Lack. It's an intelligent magic item, an intelligent crystal ball called Lack and modeled after Black 13 from uh, Gunslinger, Dark Tower series, Stephen King's Dark Tower series. And it shows them all these truths. And it's like, this: these guys are lying to you. And, you know, you need me. And she says, you need to put that thing in your bag of holding right now. And they do. They take it and, they, and, 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 and then it tries to take control. 
he makes his saving throw and he drops it in the bag and, and then everything goes back to the normal when he sees it. And they're like, Whew. and they're like, what would you have done? It was like, we'd have beat his ass until he goes unconscious. And then we're going to take that orb and put it in the bag. And if you guys fight us, we're going to fight you too. And they're like, wow, that could have gone really poorly. So it was this really high tension scene, you know, and it was just awesome. Like I have a really high tension scene that didn't result in combat. And then she says, here's what's going on. Leto Skull is on the move. The Emerald Claw is going to be blowing something up. Uh, and the best thing you can do with the Tome of Colseer, that's a really powerful book of necrotic magic, necrotic and illusionary magic, you need to give it to me and get it out of your hands because they're going to hunt you down and kill you if you've got it. And they're like, they thought about it and they talked about it. And there was like, and they said, okay. And they handed it to her and she took it and she handed it to her right hand, who is a, um, a woman named Triss. Triss walks around with a bunch of invisible stalkers and uh, Triss took the book and left. And so the book of Colseer is gone. And she said, okay, good. I'm glad that's done. Um, so what are you going to do next? And they said, we think it's time to go after the Emerald Claw. Uh, we know where they are. We know they're bad. We're going to go there. So the characters left and they went to the um, city, of, city of the Dead and are, made their way through the mausoleum. They got attacked by 30 zombies on the way, something like that, 24 zombies. And uh, they beat back the zombies uh, and a couple of cultists of the Emerald Claw and now they are making their way into the front door of uh, of the Emerald Claw. And I think uh, they're going to see behind them uh, part of the lower district of um, – what's their uh, – Dura collapses. Uh, smoke and dust pour out. Um Spellfire. So part of the district of the Dura of the, the Dura Lower District collapses. Uh, smoke and dust pour out spellfire in the distance, right? And what's happening is there is a war behind them. They left it. This is one of those like I love the way D D works. And I love I'll, I'll I'm gonna give a pitch for uh, and it's it's uh, here pop pop the sneak preview for tomorrow's Sly Flourish article, um, which is a rewrite of an article I've I had for years, uh, which is about building situations and the importance of building situations. That when we are designing our D and D adventures, instead of thinking of them as a series of plots and this happens, then this happens, then this happens, it's better to say what's the situation that's going on here. Uh, what's the location like? Who's there? What are they doing? And what's the drive that moves the characters there? And set it all up and then watch it happen. And I really like to think of it as sort of setting up the balls on a pool table, right? That we, we arrange them and we set them up and then the cue ball hits and they go off in different directions. And um, uh, it is such a powerful way of running a D&D game. And you can do it at higher level campaign levels. The whole idea of... of uh, from Dungeon World uh, and, and Apocalypse World of Fronts is sort of that way that you're sort of setting these things up and letting them go. I'm kind of moving away from the concept, not the concept, but the lingo of Fronts because it's, a, it's kind of jargony. And instead you have villains and villains have goals and they have steps that they take to accomplish those goals, right? And I'm, I'm thinking of it more that way. It's easier to think. And then you could say, yes, a big moon that is about to crash on the planet, that counts as a villain, right? A giant storm can also count as a villain. So the definition of villain is 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 wider and that's why front is a little bit better because it covers other things but i think it's easy if you say you have three villains they all have goals and they all have things that are driving towards those goals that's a good sort of way to keep a campaign complicated and, and going um my my villains in this one are Lido skull uh the emerald claw and probably the dask right are like three major villains that all have their things that are doing and because i set it up that way that i have these three major villains Lido skulls doing things that he wants to do emerald claws doing things they want to do the dask are doing things they want to do what happened is the um you could even think of them as factions instead of a villain right you could say you have these factions and you have these villainous factions and then you have good factions and the, the idea that the dask are not really villains they may be they may be later but they're not right now that the dask their goal is get the book of Tol- get the Tome of Colseer, get it out of Sharn, and get it to the daughters of Sorakal, the leaders of the Dura, or the leaders of Droam, the monstrous empire. So they get the book of the Tome of Colseer. They hand it to, to um, uh, Triss, uh, Dura, uh, oh, so many names, Cavella's uh, right hand. She takes it out. She is, her, her invisible stalkers are leaving town. They're going over to get on an airship and fly towards Droam. And as they do, 
Leto Skull's guys attack. And he attacks with a ton of dudes. He attacks with uh, the Lamia uh, fire touched, uh, Valentine fire touched. He attacks with like 24 jackal wares. He attacks with assassins of, um, uh, you know, uh, House Tarkanon assassins, right? This whole group. And if you recall, I had this group all planned to attack the characters, but the characters don't have the book anymore. So they're not going to attack the characters. They're going to attack, uh, um, they're going to attack, uh, Triss. And they probably, you know, there's probably a spy inside. Um, how do they know? It's probably there's a spy that, that let them know that this is going on. So they have a bullet, a troll riding a bullet, and that's what collapses the, the district. And then there's this huge war between uh, like four invisible stalkers versus uh, like 24 um, jackal wares, which sounds like about right. And then you add the House Tarkanon assassins. I think that the... Um, uh, I think that uh, between the element of surprise and the amount of people that Lido Skull had a better um, uh, Lido Skull had a better uh, chance of getting it than escaping. And I think what we're going to do is right now we're going to roll a d20 to see who gets the Tome of Kulsir. So right now on this show... As I get out my, my Wormwood dice box, and uh, I have some really nice uh, aluminum dice that was I got from, uh, see, I've got my, my Wormwood little dice holder, taking that out, and I've got an aluminum die from Easy Roller Dice, they're a Sly Fleur sponsor. So uh, if we look at it, let's, let's uh, for funsies, this is, this is, uh, this is like, I'm, I'm getting complicated, but this is kind of cool. So we're going to go to um, D&D Beyond. What we're essentially doing is running a battle off screen, right? But I kind of want to do like, let's see how uh, it goes. We're going to go to collections. We're going to go to encounters. And we're going to set up two encounters. We're going to create a new one. And uh, the first one is going to be, we don't care about the characters. Uh, we have Jack aware. I, I think this is going to go really badly for, um, we add uh 24 jackal wares uh wow that went to deadly real fast we have a lamia uh we have um a troll go away uh we have a bullet Uh, and we have, uh, I think the Tarkanon, I don't know. I'd probably do Tarkanon. Tark. Uh, probably two Tarkanon assassins. So that is an adjusted experience budget of 32,000 um, total, right? That's a lot. Uh and then on the other side, we have uh, a mage. Oh, so we uh, let's, we got to create a new encounter. So we'll save that encounter. This is um, Leto Skull's hit squad. And then, yeah, and that's a lot of dudes, right? Um, and then we create a new one. Create new. And this time we have, we're going to say six invisible stalkers. Right. Um, that's a lot. Four, four invisible stalkers. Um, and a mage. Um, that's twenty three thousand. So the odds are still against. Uh, if we added, if she had six invisible stalkers, it would actually be forty thousand. She well, she has five. So. She probably has four. She, she's at the disadvantage. She, she has four, which means, what did I say? It's 32 to 23. I don't know what that ratio is. Somebody do that ratio real quick. What's uh, 23,000 divided by 32,000? And give me the ratio. And then that'll tell us what to roll on a D20 to figure out who won the battle. Right? Um, math is hard. Uh, let's just go to the Googles. Uh, 23 divided by 32,000. 70%. So uh, on a, let's see, so that's seven or better. 
Um, so on a one through seven, uh, uh, Triss gets away with the book and survives. Uh, on a eight through 20, uh, roughly 13 out of 20, uh, uh, you know, 13 20th likelihood, uh, Leto Skull's guys win. They kill Triss and they take the book. So a big different, like NPC is going to die. You know, major things are going to happen. Which group is getting the book? Is the Droam getting the book or is Leto Skull getting the book, right? This is a huge campaign change. There's a bug. There's a huge campaign change going on right now. And I'm rolling it with a single D20 to see which way it goes. And it's like a major shift. But the answer is like, it'll be very cool. So one through seven, I want to make sure I get it right. One through seven, Triss escapes with the Toma Colsier and it goes to the Droam. Uh, eight through 20, Leto Skull's guys kill Triss, get the book, and they get it and begin to leave. 16, Leto Skull gets the book and Triss dies. So major, you know, major plot point there. That was cool. So, and that that's... That's kind of situational D&D, right? I didn't even know. I had no idea when I sat down here where the, what direction this game is going to go. But that's the way it's going to go. And the, and the, the kind of, I mean, I don't know if my players are going to be pissed. I hope they're not pissed. I put all my Wormwood stuff away. Um, because, um, I don't know. I think they're going to be cool with it, right? And the answer is like, that's what could have happened, right? That we, we played the odds and, and that's what happened. Uh, she had a chance, right? She had about two chances in three. One chance in three of surviving. She didn't. She died. And Triss has like been a friend of theirs. And Triss is going to die off screen while they're dealing with Yarmouth Claw. And that's how fronts work, right? That's how these that's how these villains work. Is like things happen off screen. So I can minimize that. Um, <laughs> Wonder says, "Oof, uh, yeah, villains are dodgy because not all of your factions need to be villains." That is right. Yeah, villains isn't great, um, but you probably want three villainous factions, right? Sounds like you have planned enough planned through the action where various faction narratives can get some items and major impact on others without the players knowing it. Yeah. And they're going to come back and Kavella is going to be there, you know, with her armed ogres. And she's going to be like, Triss is dead. Like Triss died. The Jackal wears that, you know, and, and the book is gone and he got it. Right. And a whole section of Dura is destroyed because a bullet ate underneath it and collapsed it. Uh, We had no idea. You know, I, I should have known my brother would do something like this, but I didn't know. Um, and we captured a spy, though. And good news, we captured a spy. So I guess this all drops into, let's go back to our notion here, uh, our secrets and clues. Um, let's see. So, one secret. Leto Skull's hit squad killed Triss and got the Toma Colsier. We all just saw that happen. Uh, Leto Skull doesn't know where Claw Rift is. Um, uh, cheese. Uh, father. Uh, had the word. Uh, had the word to open the dodecahedron uh i can't spell dodecahedron whoa whatever that's close enough the necklace uh and gives the word uh z's father is dead by the way um lord is uh shifts brother they were both built uh early on and uh as a partnership between uh kenneth and uh karnath um shift stayed with freeland wow crash went with the emerald claw um 
that's a character-driven one, right? I got a lot of character-driven stuff going on in this one. That's good. Um, what other? I skipped scenes, but basically it's like a crawl through the tomb of house, um, and it's uh, uh, which house? It is the character's house of um, it's Chi's father's house. Uh, Chi. Uh, House Civis. All right. Bink, bink. So right now, while that, that whole war is going on, um, the party is carving through the lair of the Emerald Claw. There are, they are, the good news is they're going to be able to stop, um, they're going to be able to stop the Emerald Claw from blowing up something. Uh, the problem is they lost the Tomacol Seer to Lido Skull. Um, so, uh, so I think here's here's kind of a, a difference with situational D and D and and going thinking back about that die roll. The nice thing there is that I was prepared to steer the story of the direction either way that that played out. So it's not a plot. It, it, like it's it's very easy to look at it and say, "Oh, great, we gave up the book just so that Leto Skull wouldn't get it, and he got it." What BS is that, right? But the answer is like he might not have. So I know, and I'll probably tell the players like that that fell on a die roll, right? Like where the book went fell on a die roll, and 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 you know. So hopefully it it doesn't look contrived because it wasn't contrived. I was really ready for them to roll one to seven and and have her get away. Um. And I think that you can kind of tell if your if your story is too plot driven if it has to follow a certain course of action, um, or instead it can follow many courses and you you're constantly like evolving uh, where it goes. So um, I often think that a DM's job is very much like playing curling. You know, a giant puck gets slid across the ice, and the curlers have to sweep the exact amount of friction in front of or away from the ice in order to keep the thing moving. We don't move the puck. We're just cleaning the area or putting things in a way to kind of change its direction. That's not a great metaphor. Um, so what other secrets do we have? Uh, any, any other? Uh, um, uh, crash and shift are children of uh lady what's her name what's the ilmaro uh do i have that right yeah yeah there's your mom cr22 lich uh, who used to serve Karnath and now rules over the the Emerald Claw. Um, Lady Omaro wanted the shard, wanted the weapon to re- to build the EC into. A new nation. Uh, everybody wants the bomb in order to make themselves a new nation. Uh, one of my themes for this campaign is Cold War stuff. And a lot of Cold War stuff is the idea of nuclear deterrence. If I get the bomb, that means I'm safe. You know, if I don't have the bomb, I'm at risk. And both the Droam and uh, they're all going for the same thing. Right, they all want that same thing. They all want to hold. If they hold the power, then uh, they'll be the strongest. And if they don't hold the power, then they will be subservient to whoever does. So that's kind of the general theme of this thing. And I think it's going to be kind of a fun final thing going on there. Uh, what else can they learn inside the tomb? Uh, what other what other things could they learn in this in this game? Um, I have a tricky bit, which is. Both of my groups, my Wednesday and my Sunday group, like I was escalating. I was kind of like, 
you know, turning the crank faster and the wheels moving faster and things are like coming to a head. And both of my groups are like, I really want to see what's going on in old Sharn. Like, I just want to explore a little bit. So I want to try to find a way that, um, I want to find a way to be able to dial back the urgency after this like major event takes place so that they know like, yes, eventually we need to figure out, um, where so i think much of it is leto skull's leaving right and i don't know that they'll get i was gonna have them have an airship i think i might still do it you got to have an airship fight so um i think one secret uh so leto skull uh hired or uh, fed information to uh the ec uh as a distraction uh leto skull is leaving on his airship. Um, uh, even though he doesn't have the location, even without. So they might have a chance to get the book back. Right, that could be very interesting. Um, what else? Leader Skull's leaving on an airship, even though he doesn't location of Claw Rift. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. I'll leave that one last secret uh, for later. So, um, do I have a Civis? I don't have a Civis location yet. That's bad. But I know what it looks like. So we're gonna quickly go here. Uh. Hang on, I might have it. Let's go to my locations and take a look. Before I, so I got my location list. Uh, Undercroft of the Cathedral of the Seven. Uh, what was this? Oh yeah, so Tomb of House Civis. <laughs> so I gave it a couple different names. Why was it the Undercroft of the Cathedral of the Seven in Hope's Peak? I don't remember why I used that. That must have been for the other group. Weird. But in this case, uh, I think I think for the time being, until I need it for the other, we're just going to call it the Tomb of House Civis. Um, uh, so now I go in here. Here's a trick uh, that I love. Uh, this is one I think I showed it last time too. Uh, you do at, and you type in what it is, and you can link directly to a location. Um, so that works out really well. Uh, review the NPCs. I'm cool with that. I don't need to do that. Um, I do need to fill out like, you know, what are the, th- what are some things that they'll discover in house civis, uh, talking, talking statues would be one, uh, murdered, um, mourners. These are people that have come to the cemetery and the Emerald Claw grabbed them up. Uh, a necrotic, um, an emerald claw necrotic focus. This would be like a twisted thing of metal with like a, a kyber crystal in it that's spinning around and it's causing necrotic energy and it kind of fuels them. That that could be somewhere. Uh, these are just sort of things that the characters might discover while they're wandering around the location. Uh, what other? Uh, okay, uh, uh, what is it called? Not a carrion pit. A charnel pit. I guess that's where the murdered mourners would be, right? But they've created like the, the, the you know, charnel pit and undead soup. Um, that could be something the Emerald Claw built down here. So this is like your, you know, what the Emerald Claw necromancers and stuff like that. Uh, so... Uh, other things. That's one, two, three, four. Let's do well, at least one more thing that they might discover. Um, this is either be stuff that would be in House Civis, like the talking statues, uh, or uh, things that the Emerald Claw brought with them. Um, probably a mirror, right? Scrying mirror or communication mirror. 
that's a good one. And it shows that they might be able to talk to Lady Elmaro. So he might make Lady Elmaro uh, an NPC. So let's copy that. Okay. Um, let's make a new NPC because I think she's going to come up. NPC. Scroll to the bottom. Oh, wait, you don't have to scroll to the bottom. We could just click new, new. Lady Omaro, paste in an image of her. Uh, and we will grab a link to her. Uh, whoops, a little advertisement. And now we have a link to her. Uh, and tag is NPC. That oh, And she's a villain too. So there we go. So now uh, I'm not going to fill out all the text on that. And then we, let's reposition that so it looks cool. There we go. So now I have a new NPC. And I can go back in here. And in my NPCs, I can just say bang. And we're going to make this a list. Uh, and say at lady. And we've got lady Elmaro. Right? So in my NPC list, I can go here. And I got her. And I didn't fill out. I would normally put a bunch of text in here, particularly like what's going on. But instead, I just put the name. And I think she's got a bunch of, yeah. Yeah, I could I could just grab this text for the time being and throw that in here. So now I've got some NPC text to go along with my NPC. See, very easy. What was that like, you know, a couple minutes? That's why I like I really dig this this style. Um What else do I need to have? Monsters. Oh, we have all the range of undead, but we have a necromancer. We have a uh uh Bone Knight, we have Whites, we have Skeletons, maybe a Flaming, uh, uh, what are they called, uh, Flame Skulls, we have uh, Crawling Claws, I love doing like a hundred Crawling Claws, right, like the hands of a bunch of dead people, um, what other things? I think that's pretty good. Uh, I think treasure, I'm pretty good with. I don't think, well, I mean, you know, he's got to have something. What does he have? Uh, he's probably carrying a great sword, right? He probably has some really nasty great sword. Maybe a, you know, what's a good, is there a good, uh, of the default great swords? I guess we can do Demon Beyond. Um, Flame Tongue Greatsword, uh, Corpse Slayer. I don't know why he would have that. The Frost Brand would be pretty awesome. That that's not so bad. Maybe a Frost Brand. Um, that's not so bad. Maybe we'll do a Frost Brand Greatsword, right? Um, and what's it called? Um, uh, need a cool name for this great sword. Something to do with rhyme heart. I don't want to use rhyme because rhyme heart's not bad though. Uh, that's fine. Rhyme heart. Reinhardt's a pretty great name. Flumpsbane? No. Frostmorn? <laughs> uh, ah, Snark Knight says that Frostbrand is, uh, would fit the cold theme of Ilmaro Castle. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody uses a great sword. Um, why, why don't I look, right? Let's take a look at the characters again. Sunday characters. So... Uh, Zarentir does not. He's a mage. Banner, I think, has a... So Banner is a paladin. Um, let's look at his... Uh, 
Why is my um I'm only getting enough I'm not getting all the information out of uh, that so we, that link was not all I needed to be. Uh oh, I cuz I didn't click down here. So let's look at equipment. Well, let's look at um uh features and traits. Boy, if I give him one of these things, he's just going to kill it. He's a defensive fighter. Fighting styles, you adapt a fighting style defense. While you're wearing armor, you gain plus one to AC. So I don't think there's anything that's preventing him from using two-handed weapons. Um, he has the shield master feat. So I think we will give him a long sword instead of a great sword. Uh, that will work, uh, right? And that also means that um, Frostbrand Longsword. He already has a magic mace, though. Hmm. Um, so one of the characters is a uh, um, um, so. If I make it a longsword, it's a little bit more useful for more people. Uh, but I think Shane Husk is a... Uh, um, he's proficient with a rapier. Hmm. I don't know. It's tough. So Shift isn't going to use it. Zarentir's not going to use it. Uh, Arwen is not going to use it. Um, uh, it is a martial weapon, so it's not usable by our monk. Because um, he didn't pick the Kensai. Um it is possible. So Shane, I think, is a, he's a dex fighter, so it's not going to help him. So probably it's it's something that Banner would use. But Banner already has, like, a fancy flail. This is tricky, right? His equipment. He has Lightbringer, which is a – or he has Lightbringer and Nightbringer. Oh, he has a sword called Lightbringer. Uh He's going to have like a golf bag of magic items. Ah, I can't. Okay. We're, we're not doing that. We're not going to make a frost brand. There's already too many powerful weapons out there. Changed my mind. Um, so what else? What is there something? I mean, a shield. Brian, they'd love a magic shield, but I'm not doing that. Because then their AC will be 29. Um, uh bracers of armor not so bad so i i wanted to put a neck yeah the necromancer so bracers of armor i think that'd be pretty good i don't think they have that we'll go with that uh emblazoned uh and maybe they can make uh a they can add Add uh, what one d eight per tier necrotic damage. Well, we'll just say two d eight. Two d eight necrotic damage to one attack once per day. I don't know the right way to say this, but essentially, you can add it to either a weapon attack or a spell attack, right? Because in the necromancer's case, they're going to use it on a spell attack, but. Um, for the characters, it could go to either a spellcaster who could then do it, or it could go to uh, the monk who could do it on an attack. So, um, uh, so that I, I don't know if there's a yeah, add two d eight to a damage roll. That's a, there's that's 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 good design. It comes down to one damage roll. Uh, to one damage roll uh, re resets. After a 
at the next dawn. I like to name every magic item. Um, I don't think these need to name them. <laughs> I like to name every magic item, except I'm not going to. So I think, okay, so how do we feel? Uh, pretty good. I think I got one secret left. Let's let's figure out that one last secret. What's one more thing that the characters could discover? So they'll uncover the whole plot about Emerald Claw and Leto's skull. Um, they will... Is there anything else with the Emerald Claw? What, what's, how about something with Elmaro? Like, why does she want... Oh, she wants it to bring back the Emerald Claw um, after breaking off from uh, Karnath. Um... Uh, I would say, uh, uh, what else? Oh, the Droam. How about, uh, have extracted a huge Kyber crystal. Equal in power to the one skull extracted from Zendrek. Yeah, all right. So I got my secrets. I've got my scenes. They're crawling through the thing. Um, I've got... Uh, I reviewed the characters. I've got some cool locations. I've got interesting NPCs. Oh, we got uh, um, Sivis's father. Uh, Chi's father. Uh, I'll have to figure out who that is. I'm running out of time anyway. Um, yeah, so I feel pretty good. There's probably a little bit more I could do, and I'll probably do a little bit more prep before the game itself just to kind of fill out sort of the dungeon and things like that. But overall, I think I've got the, the main gist of what's going on here. And I have reached the end of our time here today. So I want to thank everybody uh, for, for coming. Uh, as I say, the Emerald Claw is Lady Omaro's father. <laughs> um, I want to thank everybody for coming today. I want to thank uh, all of the fine folks in our uh, chat today for helping me walk through this. Um, and, uh, uh, for those of you who have backed Fantastic Layers, thank you very much. If you haven't backed Fantastic Layers, you got about three days left to do so, and it's a good deal. You know, the PDF, you know, the digital one is 15 bucks, and it gives you, like, it's going to give you a big pile of PDFs. So it's going to be great stuff. Uh, thank you all, and I will see you all next week. So have a great week, and get out there and play some D&D.